Well, my name is Chad, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a great joy to uh, bring God's Word to you today. And uh, this morning, I'm just going to dive right in. Psalm 23 is one of the great texts of the Bible. By the way, I get to choose what my text today, we're, we're, we're uh, kind of in the middle of a series that Pastor Chris is leading us through, and so Jesse and I, uh, last week and myself today got to, to choose our text, and I came to Psalm 23. My guess is that it's, it's uh, one of the two most widely known passages of the Bible, the other being maybe the Beatitudes or the Lord's Prayer. It's one of the most likely to be found inside of a Hallmark card or on a Hobby Lobby wall hanging, or perfunctorily read and heard so often as to not really be read or heard at all, encrusted with centuries of sentimentality and culture, uh, both Christian and secular, has adumbrated Psalm 23 to, to just a faint glow of its real power. Do you know what precious moments figurines are? They're these little ceramic figures of cute childlike angels or bride and grooms kissing or little animals like sheep all kind of infantilized to look like babies or or children. It was not uncommon, at least way back in the day when we actually had Hallmark stores and and things like that, to see scenes of the Bible depicted with cute little uh, uh, childlike sheep and, 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 and shepherds. And Psalm 23 was always near the top to be so depicted. But Psalm 23 is not done justice by precious moments in Thomas Kincaid paintings. Uh, The backdrop of Psalm 23 is real sheep and real shepherds. It's images from life in fields and valleys and hills among grass and dirt and sand and rocks. Images of hard, smelly, demanding work that deals with finding food and water in pastures defending against wolves and leading through dark valleys. In other words, Psalm 23 is about life. I have the privilege today of choosing my text, and I came to Psalm 23 because as a kid who grew up in church, I have a lifetime of ignoring some of the greatest passages in the Bible because I've heard them so many times. I can remember some of my earliest memories were under a pew playing with my G.I. Joes while preachers were preaching. Been to many funerals, many weddings, heard the psalm, read a million times, and I've been guilty of trivializing Psalm 23 as sentimental or glossing over it as common. But in this season, over the last few months, God has brought this psalm to me and made it vividly real out of necessity. God gave it. And these six verses became an anchor for me in a really busy season with not a lot of time to be in God's word, to get up and go to bed and hear the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I've just been processing it over and over. And I hope it's okay today just to be honest and say, what I'm bringing to you today is just some of the results of that processing. And as I've processed that in my own life, I've thought over the past year or so, which undoubtedly is the strangest year for all of us here in spite of all of our blessings and we don't have to name all the trials and nearly all of my life though I cannot think of a time finding more of my friends and brothers and sisters in Christ and acquaintances in a time of transition and challenge and great burden and sometimes loss to say nothing of the chaos of the times in which we live 
We are so incredibly blessed in many, many ways that we struggle, I think, at times to admit that we suffer. And yet this season reminds us that in this life we will face suffering of all sorts and our need is very great, far greater than our culture will let us imagine. And it's God's grace, isn't it, that shows us how great our need is. And so we come this morning to God's Word, to Psalm 23, which I invite you to open your Bibles and stand for the reading of God's Word, to Psalm 23, which is not merely beautiful or moving, but it's the Word of the Lord. Amen? If you don't have a Bible today, uh, we'd love to give you one. We do have free Bibles in the foyer, and you can feel free to run out there, get one now, get one before you leave, and take home and read God's Word. So the Holy Spirit, speaking through the psalmist David, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word which you give us. Help us to hear your voice today through these common verses, these oft-repeated phrases. You are good and you are our shepherd. We pray today that you would slow our minds and calm our hearts, open our eyes and give us awareness of your presence and your nearness. Feed us with your word, water us with the living water that quenches our thirst. Free our souls from toil and turmoil, from anxiety and anger. And Lord, comfort us with the hope that cannot be lost, that cannot be extinguished, that does not fail. And we ask this and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. So the central theme of the message is obvious. It's the central theme of of the psalm. There are no gotchas. There's no surprise or or, or twist endings here. The Lord, it says, is my shepherd, I shall not want. So I want to talk to you today concerning the gospel of Psalm 23 in three parts. First, that the Lord is a shepherd and he glories in being a shepherd. Second, the nature of the relationship between sheep and shepherd, that is the closeness of the shepherd to the sheep. And third, that this is all really, really good news about Jesus himself. It's good news that comforts It's good news that restores. It's good news that gives hope. Well, eventually, every country music artist reaches a point in their career when they finally have to produce a gospel album or a Christmas album, right? Eventually, all artists have to do that. A favorite of mine is simply called The Psalms by by an artist 
from the 70s and 80s, Jessie Coulter. She's probably unknown to most of you. She was to me for a long time until I kind of got into old country in the last few years, which I really dig and I really love the authenticity of. And Jessie Coulter, way back in the day, was a part of what they used to call outlaw country. It was really kind of tough guy country, Waylon Jennings and, 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 and others. And she was actually married to Waylon, and she sang with Waylon Jennings. But after years of doing that, just, just a few years ago, three years ago, she went back to her roots and she did an album of just her and her piano for the most part and she's just singing and she's not singing hymns she's just singing the psalms psalm 150 psalm 24 psalm 36 and I, and I love it because of its sparseness and it's sparing just the human voice singing God's word and of course psalm 23 is in the list listening to that yesterday as I was thinking through and preparing for today made me think of the great privilege that we have to be able to pull a phone. Like, I would love to go back to my grandpa and explain that I could pull a phone out of my pocket, right? Like my grandpa, who was a blacksmith, who had a phone on the wall with a dial and a really long cord that got longer and longer over time and say, Grandpa, I can pull out a phone and I can play you. I can thumb in a search string. I can play you any song in the history of man in two seconds. In fact, if I don't know the song, I have an app. He's going to, what is an app? And I have an app that I can play a song into and it will tell me what the song is. My kids do this to me. What is that song? When I was a kid, we had things called compact discs, and I want you to know that we were absolutely amazed in the 90s when they finally came out with a compact disc player that you could have in your car and would not skip when you drove. Like, that was amazing, because you would try to be so careful so you could listen to your music and not have the CD skip, or you would hit it because it would skip, and finally, of course, they would all go bad and skip all the time. Before that, we had cassette tapes, mixtapes, like the original playlist, which took a lot of time to make if you really were dedicated to having your favorites in the dashboard. You would make a cassette mixtape. And you know all that nostalgia for the 1980s that's currently in vogue, which makes me realize that the oldies are now the 80s. When I was a kid, the oldies were the 60s. The oldies are now the 80s, and some of us actually lived that. Can I get an Amen. But prior to the invention of the phonograph in 1877, think about that, 1877, prior to 1877, no human ever heard music or song that was not performed or sung by other people in their presence. Think about that and think about the experience of all believers before that. It just makes me think of that when I think about David and all of his time as a shepherd. The Bible refers to sheep and shepherds over 500 times. It is so central to life for God's people, Israel. Many of the great figures of the Bible are shepherds, Abel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers. The great leaders of the Bible, Moses learned how to lead as a shepherd. David learned how to lead as a shepherd. And shepherds 3,000 years ago, and having no smartphones or Walkman in all of the boring time of waiting to do their work, which is a significant amount of their time, if they were to listen to a song to pass the time, they had to sing it 
and they had to either compose it or they had to know it and they had to share it. And they sang of what they knew. David in Psalm 23 sings of what he knows. And I wonder how often he sang it to himself and how many times he played it over and over again and how many times he taught it to others who also played it over and over again before it was put down in writing in a culture where most people could not read, but they heard the words. They did not uh, normally read them. And David, as a shepherd, he sings a song that would make sense to people acquainted with the sight of flocks in grassy fields, the need for stone fences, the importance of streams of good water, and the value of a well-made staff. Shepherds were not exactly held in high regard in the ancient world. In fact, uh, they were necessary. And flocks, uh, great flocks were signs of great wealth. But the man who owned them didn't necessarily herd the sheep himself. He found someone else to do that dirty job. In fact, uh, we see this in Genesis when Joseph presents his brothers to Pharaoh as shepherds. The Bible actually says that the the Egyptians, they they gave them a land where they could kind of be apart. And they let them uh, uh, manage and handle uh, many of the great flocks of Egypt. But it says that every shepherd was an abomination to the Egyptians. It was a dirty job. It was not an up and rising career. And even David, when he came to offer to fight the giant Goliath, was viewed as just a shepherd boy. And he was viewed as just a shepherd boy because you could give this job to shepherds. You could get boys, you could give this the job and say, you go do this hard thing. We're doing other things. You go sit and be with the sheep and do that demanding but simple work. What I love when I think about that, when I come to Psalm 23, is that David is saying that God is not too exalted to make himself known to sheep herders. But more so that God has chosen to reveal himself as a shepherd. A lowly job. And David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And by Lord, notice in your, in your English translation that it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. David is not using a generic term for God as to say, God is my shepherd or a deity is my shepherd. Rather, Lord, in, in all caps like that, is a substitute in your English Bible most of the time for translations which do this. It is a, it is a substitution for the Hebrew name for God himself, the name that he had personally revealed himself as and given him given to his people in the hebrew it's yod hey vav hey it's it's four uh vowels that that is so sacred that 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 uh faithful jews will not utter it but the best uh per, uh, uh pronunciation that we know is probably yahweh and david doesn't say yahweh is a shepherd rather he says yahweh is my shepherd And David sings of what he knows, not only about shepherds and sheep, but about God and himself. Praise God. We have these images in the Bible, such as shepherd, and this, this, I get get really excited. We have these images, uh, which we use to understand God in some way. And God is in some way, when, when the Bible uses things like God is a rock and, 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 and God is, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is a shepherd, you think of all the images, that in some way God is analogous or like that image. 
But I don't think this works quite the way that we think it might. We see this in the New Testament where marriage is used to picture the relationship between Christ and the church. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5. But instead of thinking, uh, Paul basically saying, we can, we, we, you know, we're trying to think about God, what is God like? We look out and we see marriage and go, oh, God is like that. Paul says, no, no. In fact, um, God, it is not merely marriage teaches us something about God, but it seems to say that God created marriage to teach us something about himself. In other words, because God is sovereign, and sovereign in the total, absolute, overall way that must be true, if he is truly the maker of heaven and earth, then he created reality to reveal himself. So what we see in the Bible are not humans guessing and trying out, well, maybe God is like this, and maybe God is like that. He's like a shepherd, and he's like a husband, and he's like this, and kind of discovering and bit by bit learning what God is or God is like. No, rather, the God who is sovereign, God created reality, marriage and families and feast and wine and houses and shepherds and sheep so that he could share himself with us personally and give us some sense of what he is truly like from each angle presented by those images. You see how glorious that is? How different that is from, from, from an unbelieving perspective. The Lord is not merely like a shepherd. The Lord is a shepherd. And what is he a shepherd of? His people. And his people happen to be very sheep-like and in great need of just a shepherd. I think we can all say amen. And it's very good news that all of his people can sing of him, the Lord is my shepherd. And this is glorious And the good news is that God actually glories in it. I just want to show you this phrase here in verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He has done all of this for us, but not merely for us. The Lord is a shepherd, not just because we need him to be a shepherd or like a shepherd because we're needy. The Lord is a shepherd to his people and he glories in it and he provides for the praise and the honor of his own great name. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Amen? Amen. How are we doing? I know it's the nine. It's okay to be quiet. It's also okay to say amen every once in a while. <laughs> I'm kind of feeling that this morning. My, my roots are Pentecostal. It was very loud and very rowdy. So can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. Because it's about the truth. Not, it's not about me. It's, the, it's that the Lord is our shepherd. Amen. And these truths are great and they are glorious. Now, Shepherding is not work that can be done at a great distance. It'd be very hard to get remote work as a shepherd. And it's not glorious work. It's a lot like plumbing, which also is not remote work. It's hands-on and it's smelly. But unlike plumbing, it's very personal. Shepherds know the sheep and they know what the sheep need. And they know better what the sheep need than the sheep themselves know. 
In preparing, I was reading through a, a great article on sheep. Fascinating. Find an article, read about sheep. And, and it makes this point that sheep have great economic value. They produce milk and wool and fat and horns and skins and meat and, of course, more sheep. But the economic value of sheep, of sheep, the article says, stands in direct proportion to the amount of supervision, guidance, and protection that the beasts require. Sheep cannot provide for themselves. They wander because they are very curious and friendly. And they get lost. They get stuck and they bleat and bleat and bleat. They can, as a herd, go into a frizzy, in frenzy and run headlong into the wilderness and over cliffs. They freak out when they should not. And they have no sense of danger at times when they should. And they are no match for wolves like at all. They have no equipment to deal with predators in the wild. The work of a shepherd is occasionally exciting in that regard. David himself had to fight a lion and he had to fight a bear uh, uh, to protect uh, his flock. But mostly the work of a shepherd is the routine of leading the sheep to food and water and returning them to the safety of the fold. And sometimes this could require long journeys as food and water dry up in certain places and sources and new ones have to be found. That was the work to find green pastures and streams of good water for the flock, to lead the flock in and out of the fold through whatever valley was required to find grass and water and to use the staff to guide and the rod to defend. So as we read David's psalm here, we must acknowledge several assumptions that aren't stated outright, but but assumptions which David nevertheless makes about himself and ourselves as well. First, the Lord is to be my shepherd, for the Lord to be my shepherd, I must recognize, and David did, he recognized himself as a sheep. Now, that's not glorious. Most of us, when we choose avatars, right? Like if you at work, you're on Slack, or you've got an avatar for re- whatever you do, you probably don't choose a sheep. You might choose a lion. You might choose a bear, Right? We have, uh, we have two high schools, Bloomington High School South and Bloomington High School North. North is the, the what? The Cougars and South is the Panthers, right? They don't, they're not the Bloomington High School sheep and the Bloomington North goats. Like, that, like you, would, you can't find that anywhere, I guarantee you. You can search all of North America. Not even the Christian schools will call their teams the sheep. And definitely not the goats. Although goat means something different than it used to, right? Who's the goat? That's, yeah, never mind. (laughs) But we're sheep. I have to admit that about myself. I wander. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I get lost in myself. I freak out when there's no reason and I don't know when I'm in danger I don't know what I need I don't know what I need best I mean I do but, but you know what I'm saying I don't like right now it's, it's easy to think in generic abstract terms but, but what do I need this week the, the Lord knows I don't know what tomorrow holds or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or or what could be by Friday. And I think in looking over the past year, we could all say that we don't know what could be by next 
Lord's Day or what we might need or what happens that's completely unplanned. Do you like to plan? I'm kind of a planner. Man, I hate it when my plans get blown. Sheep in English, I think, kind of teaches us something. You know, there's singular and plural. Like, the, sing, the plural of sheep is sheep, right? Not sheeps. <laughs> there's something there. Why is that? I don't know if this is true in the Greek or Hebrew. It's probably not. But in English, we just have a word, sheep. And that's because you never see a sheep really by itself. It's always the sheep. The sheep were playing. The sheep were on the hillside. If you ever see a sheep... They're in trouble. Like the shepherd has to move. In Jesus' parable, there's, he has a hundred sheep. Uh, the parable of, the, of, of a great shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. One gets away. One cannot get away. One can, will get lost, will, will die in the wilderness. We're not made. We're not really lions. We're sheep. And the work of the shepherd is exactly what the Lord does for us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's what I need. He leads me beside still waters so that our life is restored and we are refreshed and strengthened. He leads us on right paths even through valleys where we feel the darkness of danger, even the very shadow of death. I love this. Verse 4. Notice. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So far, he has said the Lord. And he said, he is, he is, he is, he leads me. He does this. All of a sudden, he's, he's contemplating being in the valley of the shadow of death. He says, I will fear no evil. And all of a sudden, he, instead of talking about God in the third person, he looks to God and he says, for you are with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The shepherd is close to the sheep, very close, guiding and leading and providing and protecting. And the sheep look up and they can see and know that the shepherd is with them. That's what it means here. To look up at the shepherd and be comforted. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this always struck me as strange when I would read Psalm 23. What is comforting about a rod? What is comforting about a staff? A couch is comforting. Right? A blanket and a pillow are comforting. Sheep have built-in pillows. <laughs> but what a sheep doesn't have is a way to guide themselves and a way to protect themselves it's what they mean to the sheep to look up and see that a shepherd has a rod that means that if an enemy appears in this dark valley the shepherd will protect me the staff means that whatever the way the way Whatever way the path winds through the dark valley, past mires and bogs, up steep paths near sudden drops, the shepherd will lead me. He has a rod to protect me and a staff to guide me. And when I see that in the midst of a trial or tribulation, to know that you are protected and you are guided is sweetly comforting. Amen. 
There is no promise here in Psalm 23 or anywhere else in Scripture of the absence of trouble or hardship or suffering or sickness or death. That is not the gospel. That is not the Christian life. That is not the promise. The promise is that in all of that, He is with us. Whatever you go through, He is with you. He is with you in all things. When you're flying high or so low that you don't think you can go any lower, He is on that mountaintop with you. He is in that valley with you. He is behind you, protecting you. And He's before you, guiding you with His rod and His staff. And He comforts you and He loves you in the midst of your storm, your trouble, your conflict, your brokenness, the struggle with your own sin. He is right there and you are not lost. And He knows the way that we take. Praise God. Psalm 23 is gospel. It's good news for sheep who know they are sheep and know that they have just a shepherd, just such a shepherd. But this shepherd is not like other shepherds. And at this point, the similarities end. Let's be honest. Sheep are shepherded in order to gain from their economic benefit. Wool coats, skin and milk, skins and milk, and lambs too. But Jesus shepherds us to make us His own, to bring us into His own home, and to shower His love upon us. And this is why the psalm changes in these verses. The language changes. No longer are we in the field, but we're now in a home. We're no longer by streams, but we're We're at a table in verse 5. This is what the psalmist says as he moves from image to image. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Uh, We kind of get hung up on the difference between God physically providing and spiritually providing. And we can too easily spiritualize Old Testament texts. There is a real spiritual application here. But the psalmist is talking about blessings in life. He is relating to things that we love and we long for. As Robert Alter says in his great translation and commentary of uh, of the Old Testament, he says these are physical elements of a happy life. A table laid out with good things to eat. A head of hair well rubbed with olive oil. That may sound weird, but, you know, they didn't have Axe hairspray for men. So oil would work. This guy is dressed up and ready to go. He's sitting at a table with friends doing what he loves. And more than that, his, his cup, wine, it overflows. And this is, this is no prosperity gospel. But it is an image of what we really long for. Let's be honest. We're probably all right now thinking about being at table very soon. Like within a few hours, right? We long to to have well-being and joy. And few things depict that better than a feast with friends in a place called home. And this text says that this hope, this thing that we long for, is found ultimately in the Lord's house and nowhere 
else. All of this is to say, what I haven't even dealt with so far, I've talked about the Lord is my shepherd, but what's the next part? I shall not want. Or as many translations today say, I shall not lack anything. You shall not lack anything, believer, of what you need. Physical and spiritual. It's easy for us to think, well, the physical's on me. I put food on the table. I get the paycheck in the bank account. The Lord provides forgiveness of sins and joy in my heart and, 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 and good feelings and love. The Lord does the spiritual stuff and I do this. That is, that is not the truth of the Scripture. The Lord provides, period. He provides all of it. He provides what's on our table. So, so when we pray and we give thanks for our food, we're, we're not meant to just do that as a kind of cultural, well, you know, praise God, good food, good grub, praise God, let's eat or whatever. Like, it's just a Passover. It's a recognize that the, what's on the table is the Lord providing. And, and when he provides the food on our table, it's just a symbol of everything behind that that he provides for us as well. And a pointer forward to what he provides us in Christ when we break bread and we're rejoicing in his grace to bring us bread. We're also looking and saying he gives us the bread of life, the spiritual things, blessings through Christ as well. But it's all from him. Praise God. Martin Luther, I forget the quote, but it's in the back of my mind as I was, as I was preparing for this, when he's talking about vocation and, and, and like what you do with your life, made this wonderful point that, you know, when you give thanks to God for the bread that you have, God is so good not merely to make bread just pop on your table, like boom, like that's how the Lord provides, but God provided the grain that went into the bread and the field in which the grain was planted and the water that watered the grain that turned it in, in, in into wheat and he provided the baker and he he taught men how to bake and he provided wood to make fire like all of these things all the way back and all that God has created are because the Lord is a shepherd and because he provides for us think how glorious that is I don't think we we stop to think we, we like oh Lord thank you for this pizza but we don't think about how marvelous it is that you can put a frozen pizza in an oven and have pizza in 25 minutes and what that means about how good God is you think I'm crazy he preached about pizza but think about it thanks brother we're going to have leftovers tonight, by the way. <laughs> Think how good he is. And that's just the physical side. And we are so blessed in our culture that the abundance is a problem. We have to push our plate back. We have to hit the gym because life doesn't prevent, provide enough physical stress. We have to watch how much we drink. We are so blessed. And, 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 and because of that abundance, we forget who it comes from. But we will not lack, brothers and sisters. The Lord will provide in our sojourn all the way to glory. We will not lack for bread and wine. We will not lack for the fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And we will not lack for the sweet forgiveness of our sins. We will not lack for grace for today and for tomorrow. We will not lack for the peace that passes understanding and the joy that will fuel our journey all the way until we are safe in the Father's home forever.
Jesus, too, like David, spoke of shepherds and sheep. And one of his most famous parables was about a shepherd who left the 99 to find the one and showed us what the Father's heart is like. Even more, Jesus makes this astonishing claim in John 10. You should go home, read Psalm 23, read John 10. And Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And he makes this incredible claim identifying himself with the shepherd of Israel of Psalm 23, the one who feeds and leads and waters and defends the flock of God, the senior pastor of God's church overall, if you will, and he brings them to God's house. How does Jesus do this? This is how. This is what he says in John 10. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In his death on the cross, Jesus himself went through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus did. All the way through the valley of the shadow of death. It didn't merely get near to him, but he experienced its full weight in a tomb borrowed from another man. And he defeated our enemies for us with his rod and his staff. And because he's done that, he will not lose one of his own. Not one. He says in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This is the sweet gospel comfort of your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There is so much more here, but I leave you with this. Dear brother and sister in Christ today, in whatever circumstance you are, in want or in plenty, in trial or, or doing fantastic, the Lord loves you. And he loves you without fail. And all the trials and troubles in your past and what you're going through now and all the ones in your future that you don't want to know about today, his rod and his staff are going to comfort you and they are going to bring you home. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Uh, uh, several translations uh, translate that a little better. They say, goodness and mercy shall pursue me. God's love, his steadfast covenant unbreakable love is chasing you and pursuing you and will bring you all the way home and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever so I say trust the shepherd today rest on this Lord's day in your shepherd trust his goodness accept his word receive his grace and confidently hope in his promises. And simply call on his name and give thanks. And let's pray. Oh Lord, you are the God and Father of all comfort. 
You comfort us when, when we cannot find comfort or be consoled in anyone else. Sometimes we are so low, we, we think we can't go any lower. We think that you have put on us a burden that we, we cannot bear, but, but that's not true. There is no burden that you cannot bear. There is no valley through which you cannot lead us. So we praise you, God, and we pray, help us to lift our eyes up to see you. We thank you for sending your son, the good shepherd, to lay down your, uh, to lay down your life for us, the sheep. Help us to look and see the shepherd at work in us and around us and through us. And fill us with your Holy Spirit for our joy and for our life. And be glorified in us in whatever way you lead. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.